0: Good evening. So I was driving down the interstate the other day and I got behind a big truck and it was veering over into the other lane and then back. He kept doing this several times. I assumed that he was on his cell phone, which is a no-no. I thought about going around him, but every time I thought about going around him, he'd swerve back over into the left lane. And then I noticed on the back of the trailer a sign that said, how's my driving? Call 1 800, whatever the number was, and I thought he wouldn't get a good report that day. So I make it to the restaurant and I sit down, and, and the service was less than stellar. It's one of those nights where I seemed like an annoyance rather than a valued customer. The food was cold, took forever to get to me. The wait staff was not real pleasant. And as I'm sitting there finishing up, I notice on the table some cards and it says, how did we do? You can leave you know, any kind of comments you'd like and I thought, that's tempting, but it wouldn't be a very good one if I were to leave a comment. Then I went to get some gas, and I pull into the gas station, and I get the nozzle, and I put it in the gas tank, and it's one of those times where it clicks off about every 10 seconds. You ever have that happen to you? Drives me nuts. I wanted to walk away from it, go get some coffee, come back, and it'd be done, but instead I have to sit there and babysit the thing, and as I'm sitting there holding the handle, I look on the gas tank, and there's a, there's a sign, we want to hear from you, and I thought, no you don't. Isn't it interesting and ironic that in this culture of no judgment, we're constantly asked to make a judgment? You can hardly go purchase anything anymore without them giving you a 30 foot receipt and them telling you, you know, if you go to the bottom of this receipt, there's a, you know, a, a place that you can go on the internet and do a survey and get 10% off or a free cookie or something. We are constantly asked to make a judgment. And I find this really ironic in this day and age of tolerance and judgment. The public sector is begging us to make judgments, and it only proves what you and I already know, and that is, you cannot not judge. It's impossible. I have found a surefire way to get non-Christians to quote the Bible. Just take any immorality that is going on in our culture and deem it as sinful, and people who don't know Genesis to Revelation will pull Matthew 7-1 from their holster. And do you know what Matthew Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 states? Of course you do, because it is the mantra of a no-judgment culture. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Even the folks that don't know the Bible know this verse. But wait a minute. No sooner had Jesus made this statement in verse 1 than he says this in verse 6. Do not give what is holy to dogs And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Is Jesus not promoting what he just spoke out against? How am I to discern who is a dog, who is a swine? How am I to know not to cast my pearls before swine if if I can't make a judgment? You skip down to verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How am I supposed to take this teaching in light of verse 1? The same Jesus who just spoke out against making a judgment is making a very overt judgment of his own. To call someone a false prophet is not very nice. It's not politically correct. It's not very tolerant. Christ even says, you will know them by their fruits. How? How will I know them by their fruits if I'm forbidden to make a judgment? If I'm not to make a judgment, then I am messing up over and over again because every day you and I make hundreds, if not thousands of judgments. What we're going to eat, where we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, all those kind of things are judgments, right? And it just goes to prove the point that you cannot not judge. What about the Great Commission? How can I carry out the Great Commission effectively if I'm not to determine anything about anyone? How am I to know who needs the gospel and who doesn't? How am I to know who is lost and who is saved if I am forbidden to assess the situation? The idea that we shouldn't judge is number one, absurd, number two, impossible, and number three, actually at odds with Scripture. It's also highly inconsistent, even hypocritical. Telling someone not to judge is a judgment, is it not? It's kind of like the folks today that say there is no such thing as absolute truth. If that's true, it's false. And the same is true with do not judge. Anytime you begin a statement with you should not That whatever comes next is a judgment. You see, you should judge. In fact, you must judge. And as we're gonna see, there are boundaries, there are rules when it comes to judging. What does the statement do not judge really imply? Does it not mean stop making any sort of assessment whatsoever, stop inferring, stop thinking altogether? And is that what Jesus meant when he said do not judge? I guess that question is kind of out of line because it would force you to make a judgment, right? There are many folks in our world who care nothing about the Bible until it comes to judgments and they're ready to pull out Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. However, Jesus had a whole lot more to say after that statement in verse 1. In fact, once you understand the context of his words, you see that how that verse is taken and applied in our culture today is very different than what he actually meant. You know, I have not mastered the English language, not even close. You can critique me every sermon and see that. But with the advent of social media, especially Twitter and Facebook, you see glaring weaknesses in other people's grammar, don't you? Then and then, your and your. How about this one? For all intensive purposes. Or I could care less really should be, you couldn't care less, right? And in the back of my mind, I hear the echo of Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. You know, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. And certainly that's the case with Matthew 7, 1. I don't think that verse means what you think it means. I will give the do not judge folks partial credit because Jesus does say that. Do not judge But they leave out a very important word when it comes to understanding the context of what he is saying. It's not that we should never judge, it's that we must judge rightly. Wrong judging is what is prohibited in Matthew chapter 7, and let's consider his words in context. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is obviously telling the Jewish leaders, hey, stop judging people. Let them sin if they want to sin. God doesn't care. Let's just gather around the fire, hold hands, and sing Kumbaya. That's the message, right? Obviously not. Jesus is asking a question here. In essence, he's asking, can you take what you give? He's not saying do not judge under any circumstances. He's saying be careful how you judge. What's the standard you're using? You had better evaluate the standard you use because it's going to be used against you. When we judge others, we often do so without mercy. We assume certain things. If you don't agree with me on politics, you must not care about the welfare of our nation. If you don't agree with me on how to raise your kids, then you must not care about the welfare of your kids. If you don't agree with me on every theological issue, then you must not love God. The problem is not that you disagree with someone or even that someone is wrong. The problem comes when you jump to judging motives, and as a result, you just write the other person off. Luke records it this way. Luke says, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Are you prepared to live up to the standard that you're requiring everyone else to live up to? That is at the heart of of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, it's hypocritical, hypercritical, self-righteous judgment that he is condemning. How are you able to see the tiniest speck of sawdust in someone else's eye when you've got a log protruding from your own eye? You can't, which means that you're going on assumptions or you're judging motives, and judging motives is one business that we need to stay out of. Righteousness is the standard of judgment. Not self-righteousness, godly righteousness. We can't judge people by our own standard because you know what? We don't even measure up ourselves. So many times we condemn faults in others that are glaringly obvious in our own lives. We want to hold people to a better standard than what we're currently living. And to be overly critical of others when we are failing to meet our own self-imposed standards is the height of hypocrisy, which is precisely what Jesus is railing against here. It's like the woman who was sitting at an airport, she had a long layover, and so she decided that she wanted to to find something to read. So she goes to one of the shops in the airport, she picks up a book, and she buys a bag of cookies. And she nestles in at a seat uh, in the airport waiting for her flight to be called, and there's a guy sitting next to her. And as she's reading her book, she reaches down to get a cookie out of the bag, and he does the same thing. And she thinks to herself, the audacity of this guy. And he kind of looks at her and kind of smiles. And every time she took a cookie, he took a cookie. And she's just flabbergasted, the nerve of this guy. And every time he kind of looks at her and smiles and she kind of looks back with a scowl on her face. Finally, there's one cookie left and he reaches in and grabs it. And she's thinking, well, what's he going to do? Surely he's not going to take the last cookie for himself. But instead, he breaks it in half and he offers her a piece. And she grabs it from his hand and she eats it, totally disgusted by this guy. Finally, her flight gets called to board, and she gets on the plane, and she puts her stuff in the overhead. She slumps down in her seat, and she reaches in her bag to pull out her book, and guess what's in there? Her unopened bag of cookies. Right then and there, she came to the realization that she was the cookie thief, not the guy that she was angry at. We often wrongly assess people and situations either intentionally or unintentionally. Our standards of judgment are flawed. We tend to look at everyone else's faults under a microscope magnified thousands of times where we tend to look at ours through a camera with the cap still on the lens. Like we don't even see it in our own lives. We tend to think that we have everything together while everyone else is falling apart. And that's what Jesus is condemning among the religious leaders. He's saying you're using a standard that's not God's. Before you place yourself in the judgment seat, take a long look at yourself and your own heart. The Jews believed that God had a double standard of judgment. We've talked about this before, you know this. The Jews believed that God's judgment on them would be much more lenient because after all, they were his people. And so by, based on their heritage, he would be uh, uh, much lighter in his sentencing on them. But he believed, the Jews believed that God hated Gentiles In fact, believed that he would use them to stoke the fires of hell, that their judgment would be much harsher. And so, therefore, they believed they were justified in condemning others. You'll remember that Jesus even referred to the Pharisees as blind guides of the blind. He's pointing out that, look, you're willing to pass judgment on everybody else, but you're not in good standing with God. Blind guides of the blind. It's a ridiculous thing when a blind person tries to lead another blind person. You know what's even more ridiculous than that? A blind optometrist. And that's what Jesus says they were. You're worse than a blind guide. You're a blind optometrist. They were, they were searching for specks of sawdust in everyone else's eye, yet they, they never noticed the log protruding from their own eye. They could spot the tiniest sin, the tiniest sin in others, but yet couldn't see the big sins in their own life. And Jesus is telling them to remove the log of self-righteousness. Don't jump to motive when you don't know the other person or their situation. The Pharisees assumed that the tax collectors and the prostitutes were worthless and didn't love God. They assumed that God didn't have any love for these sinners. The religious elite had no ability to see into their heart, and yet they condemned them anyway. We can't judge motives because we don't even know why we do what we do. How do we think we can judge why someone else does what they do? Christ used the illustration of the speck and the log to show that we must look inward before we look outward. Don't judge someone for something unless you're prepared to meet that standard yourself. We're not qualified to judge motives. We have a pretty good idea at times. Sometimes it may seem glaringly obvious why someone did what they did, but we can't determine the motive behind another person's conduct because there are limits, ultimately, to what we can see in other people. It's our motives that we need to be concerned about, not the motives of other people. We can judge what a person does. We can't judge why they do it. The Pharisees had better moral behavior. Their standing in society was better. They were More respected, their lives reflected a better religious position, but their hearts were far from God. Like we talked about this morning, they thought that they were the winners. Not only did they think that they were the winners, everybody else, even the losers, thought that they were the winners. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount that we'll get to later in our series on Sunday morning, where Jesus points out, you're no better off. In fact, you're worse off. The person you condemn may be closer to Jesus. Than you are. Did you notice that Jesus calls the judgmental person a hypocrite? There are few things worse than being called a hypocrite. In fact, I've heard that that's one of the number one reasons why people don't come to church, because it's full of hypocrites, right? We know all about hypocrites. We know all about hypocrisy. We've experienced it ourselves, like we talked about this morning. We, we know what it means to be authentic, and we know what it means to be plastic. We understand authenticity, and we understand hypocrisy. We're well acquainted with both. But before we go condemning others, we need to give ourselves a thorough examination. Look inward before you look outward. And my guess is we all have more than a few things we can work on in our own lives. We could keep busy just working on ourselves, and that really should be our primary focus. Don't allow the shortcomings of another To override the sin in your own life. Get your own house in order. Focus on your log before you focus on the speck. Now, here's the deal. Jesus never intended for Christians not to judge. That was never in the game plan. He intended for us to judge rightly. He expects us to judge with righteous judgment. Those of you who have jumped ahead in your mind are thinking about a verse, right? And it's John 7, verse 24, where it says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge, did you catch that? But judge with righteous judgment. We must be able to discern truth and error. We must be able to recognize false prophets who come to us in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Paul spoke spoke plainly to the Corinthians about the fact that they were going to have to carry out church discipline effectively, and to do that, they must do some judging. We must be able to recognize sin when we see it, or else how can we steer clear of it? How can we help others who need to hear the Word of God, who need to hear the gospel? These are all judgments. However, the standard is not our own. The standard by which we judge such things is the Word of God. Righteous judgment means that we judge according to the standard. And the standard is not our own. That's where we get in trouble. The Bible is our standard of righteousness. And within its pages are the specifications for how we are to live. It is the truth that we are to adhere to. And therefore, when we point out that a certain behavior is wrong, we're not even really condemning. The Bible, the standard, has already done that. We are simply pointing it out. Now, how we do that is important. Because some really rather like pointing out that bad behavior is sinful and that they're going to hell. They think it's their spiritual gift, I guess. But we are to speak the truth in love. We of all people should know what it's like to live in condemnation because all of us have been outside of Christ. We should be the ones who are conveyors of grace and mercy. We should be truth tellers with tears We are like dying people speaking to dying people. You've heard me say this before, but if everyone hates us, something's wrong. But if everyone loves us, something's probably wrong. We don't love anyone if we avoid telling them the truth for fear of offending them. To be truth tellers with tears means that we're willing to risk hurting one's feelings as we attempt to help them get to heaven going to hell isn't in anyone's best interest and certainly we want to do everything we can to let people know that there is a detour that god allows you turns that there is hope to have the un removed from unrighteous and to simply be righteous heaven is filled with people that used to have the un in front of the righteous there was once a a trapper Who had lost his wife and he was forced to raise his his little bitty son in the alaskan wilderness in a remote cabin and as winter was approaching food was getting scarce and so this this father this trapper decided he had to go out and he had to get some food and so he left his little son he didn't want to but he had to leave his little son at home by himself for a little while with their faithful trusty dog And as he's out hunting, a violent storm came up and he wasn't able to get home as quickly as he would like. Finally, he makes it home and he walks into the cabin and he comes up on a a crime scene, it looked like. I mean, furniture was overturned. Everything was in disarray. He screams and hollers for his son, but he's nowhere to be found. And he looks over in the corner and there's his trusty dog covered in blood. And then he puts a picture together his dog had become hungry and killed his son. And so he grabs an axe and he, he disposes of his trusty dog out of anger. And then he begins frantically looking around for his son because he thinks maybe, maybe there's a faint chance that he's still alive. And finally he hears a whimper. And he looks up under the bed, he turns it over, and there's his son. And he scoops him up in his arms, and he's holding him tight, and he turns around, and he sees a dead wolf. And then he really connects the dots. The wolf had come in to take his son, and his faithful dog had saved his son's life. And I'm afraid that we can be pretty hasty at times with our judgments like that. We, we assume things. And in our assumptions, we make fatal mistakes. You know, the Bible is there to shape our judgments. It's not that we're not to judge. The Bible is there to shape our judgments and to tell us how to judge. It's absolutely ludicrous to suggest that a Christian is never to judge. We are to judge, but we are to judge rightly. We're to judge righteously. And we're to judge with love. You can't be an obedient Christian without judgment. But you must judge rightly. There is a standard, and it's not yours. It's God's. Can we help you tonight? If you have a need, Jim's going to lead us in a song. We invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.